outside the tank is not affiliated with Shark Tank. Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. That's Joe. We're yeah. glad to be here. Happy to be here. We, excited. We are about to interview a guy named Eugene Jung, and he owns a ping pong social club. Very interesting concept. Pips and Bounce uh, goes into the tank asking $500,000 for 10%. Now, in-person, social club, bar, uh, ping pong. This aired, if you can believe this, on February 28th of 2020, (laughs) uh, season 11, episode 13. So obviously... A lot's changed for Eugene. Uh, you'll hear it during the interview, but guess what? Pivoted, still going, not quitting, gritty entrepreneur, figuring it out, and we love these stories. And so, he didn't have an easy time on the show. He didn't get an offer. Everyone went out. Uh, some people, some sharks loved him, some uh, did. Damon said he just hated ping pong. <laughs> So we had a tough time on the show, Yep. but he's a very, very, he's a great man, a very gritty entrepreneur. Yeah. So no deal came from this. Uh, when he went into the show, his last three years were right around a million of revenue each year, 4,500 square foot facility, seven and a half percent profit margin. Uh, Mr. Wonderful uh, contended that 14% of a margin is what was going to be needed to franchise, which was uh, something that uh, Eugene uh, had in mind. Uh, so at the time of airing, you know, they're going in trying to build a second uh, facility in Minnesota that would be a training facility for the franchisees. So whew, open yeah. in 2014, obviously a lot changed, uh, got sidetracked. We'll get into it in the interview. Uh, but this is just a great story, again, of someone that's gritty, that's trying to figure things out, didn't have all the answers. Not going to quit. Interview. But he ain't quitting. He's pivoting. He's figuring it out. This place will get back open. And uh, we're so excited to welcome Eugene, who was very open and transparent about what was going on. There's a lot of good lessons here. So hope you enjoy our interview with Eugene. And on the other side of it, we'll break down some of the great lessons we learned from him. All right. We're here with Eugene of Pips and Bounce. Eugene, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, we're, uh, we're really excited to have you, and uh, we got a lot to talk about, but let's just start at the beginning. Um, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came up with the idea for this business. Um, yeah, so let me just rewind maybe about 10 years here. Um, before Pips and Bounce, I was living and working in New York City, uh, working at a big corporate law firm doing marketing and business development for about 10 years. Um, and I would say probably in the last couple years working in that environment, I was kind of like, I want to do something for myself. I wanted to kind of just break out of the shell of what I was getting comfortable with in New York. 
Um, and there was a ping pong place that opened in New York um, right about then, if not maybe a year or two before, um, that was basically kind of the inspiration how Pips and Bounce um, evolved. Um, so I actually invited my brother to come out to New York City. Uh, we grew up playing ping pong in our basement at home in Kentucky. And that was just our childhood memories as a family, basically before and after dinner almost every single day. That's what we did. And um, you know, as we grew up and became adults, um, we started, we didn't really have that. And whenever we did get back together, my brother was in Portland and I was in New York City. We always try to catch up um, over a ping pong table because that's what we were just used to. So the the light and the or the, the electrical and the light was basically when my brother came to this place in New York City, he was like, why doesn't Portland have one of these? Because uh, it's super fun. It's super engaging. Uh, it's not like your traditional bar where you sit down with friends, which is perfectly fine. But this is this something you're doing something when you're drinking and eating with friends. Um, and we just love ping pong. And I basically told him, like, I have no idea about Portland. I've never been. Um, but sounds like a fun idea. So the next day he left back to Portland. You know, I stayed in New York and, you know, days came to weeks, came to months, and we kept on talking about this idea, just wouldn't leave. And um, we just started doing pop-up parties. Uh, we rented ping pong tables, I think from the local rec, rec center, uh, got a U-Haul, and we just kind of did guerrilla pop-up parties. And that's when Facebook started to have their own pages. Um, this was maybe about eight years ago. And we just kind of bootstrapped it, did our own marketing, did our own efforts, and put ping pong events uh, all around Portland for a couple years. I would say maybe over, I would say 20 or maybe 30 events. And then um, it got to the point where I was flying back and forth from New York to Portland maybe twice a month uh, doing on weekdays. And I was like, okay, this is not sustainable for me. So either we're all in or we're all out. And one thing led to another, you know, we looked at brick and mortar spaces and we found the spot and we're like, okay, you know, we had some traction from a pop-up pop events. People loved the idea. It was pretty original. Um, we wanted to do our own kind of take for Pips and Bounce because we grew up playing ping pong in our basement in Kentucky and we loved the 90s TV shows. We loved the movies and everything. So largely it was inspired by our childhood uh, memories, which is basically, you know, fake wood paneled walls that you would see in the basements and the houses back then. Uh, we have that in our space here. Um, it's very kind of original. What a lot of customers are saying, it's basically their home away from home. They just feel very comfortable here. Um, and it just kind of became a following. And, you know, here we are now in 2021. A lot of things have changed, but, you know, we're, we're still in it. What, what did you do in these pop-up parties? I mean, did you have, like, food and alcohol, or was it just people played ping pong? Like, I, I'm just curious what that was like. Sure. So Portland has a great eating culture. Um, there's a lot of kind of food cart establishments. Um, so we totally piggybacked a lot of the food carts. Um, I can remember some on top of my head, um, like the Taco Peddler, which is basically a bicycle taco stand. 
Um, he would come by, we would invite him, he's like, hey, we're going to have a pop-up party at this venue or this area. Are you interested in serving food? And, you know, usually there is a 0.5 second hesitation for them to say yes. And then we partnered up with like a local DJ. Um, there's even local pop-up bartenders because you have to have like an alcohol license, which, you know, that's something that we didn't have. Um, so we basically worked with all local businesses here in Portland. And luckily the culture in Portland is very supportive of that. Um, so what I did with my brother, we basically, you know, we tried to figure out how do we run a business like this? You know, um, do we rent per table? Do we rent per paddle? Like what POS do we figure out how to use? It was all just us figuring it out as customers came up to us. So it was um, a lot of mistakes, but it was super fun. And I think that's what kind of kept us going. And was it that uh, some of the folks at these pop-up ping pong parties whispered in your ear, hey, Eugene, hey, Michael, you guys ought to have a place in town? I think, so our first pop-up party, um, it was crazy. We probably had over a course of a weekend, maybe 200, 250 guests, just innocent bystanders walking by, looking through a window. They're like, why are all these ping pong tables here? Why are these people playing? It looks like it's a, you know, it's an open event. So they just kind of came in, played ping pong with their kids, families, friends, wherever. And then, um, you know, it was just word of mouth and it just kind of grew. So it was just kind of a domino effect where, you know, we had one event um, and then we announced another event and more people started to come. And as we kind of grew a little bit of a following, people were like, you should totally have a permanent space because we love this. It just fits the Portland culture is what a lot of people said. And back then, I didn't really understood what that was. I didn't live in Portland. But now that I've been here for about six years, it is totally the vibe of Portland where it's, it's super engaging. It's, it's non-pretentious. It's, you know, it's a paddle. It's a ball. It's usually a slice of pizza and a beer, which for most people in the city is, is a lot of smiles and a lot of laughs. So, um, and, and, and usually in that part of the country, it's not like a Miller Lite. It's an IPA. Yeah. It's about 10% alcohol. And of course, my first time up there, I just drank them like they were, you know, Coors Lights. And so you feel it the next morning. So timeline wise, walk us through when you decided, hey, we should find a brick and mortar location up until the time you got on Shark Tank. You know, how, how many years was that? What transpired during that period? So I would say probably close to five year mark from opening into we got into the open casting auditions for Shark Tank. Um, in that span of five years, it was kind of figuring, you know, this was my first foray into running a small business. Um, never worked in the hospitality bar restaurant industry before, uh, you know, I've always been a customer. So it was just a massive learning curve to figure out how to run a business like this, which typically is a very, um, unsuccess the, the percentages of business in this industry is very unsuccessful. And I was like, okay, so 
I knew what I was getting myself into, but I wanted to do it. Um, it was no if, ands, or buts. It was like, we signed the lease, we have to make this work, and there's really no going back. So I would say the first two years was figuring out, okay, what is Pips of Bounce? How are we gonna operate Pips of Bounce? Um, and then at the end of the day, we just knew it was all about our customers having fun. And that usually kind of, you know, we have a customer here, which could be John or Jane Doe. You know, typically they're probably working. Um, usually after they have a good time here, they tell their friends at the workplace, or they tell their families or other family members. And it just, just kind of grew word of mouth where we started to get on um, the eyes of the big corporations in the Portland city, which is, you know, the Nike, Intel's, the Columbia's. We started hosting a lot of parties and uh, team building events. So that probably grew our business um, significantly because we got into the, the arena of doing hosting large parties. And that's what kind of really helped our business. And then after probably, you know, year three, year three, year four, we were, you know, our revenues were stabilizing. We knew what we were good at. And the question is, you know, do we want to grow? And how do we want to grow? Um, and I think coincidentally, there was a, I think in this, one of the small Portland business organizations, I can't remember which one, basically had a mass email to basically, we're hosting open auditions for Shark Tank. Um, and I'm a firm believer of kind of putting myself in somewhat in a uncomfortable, awkward situation, uh, representing Pips of Bounce, because I knew it was something I didn't know of, but it was a, a uh, something for me to learn, which was part of the whole reason why I wanted to do this. And so I told my brother, who's my partner, I was like, I'm just going to go for it. There's nothing to lose. Um, just going to talk about Pips of Bounce, see, you know, if this is something that we can tell the the city or the state or the country about what Pips of Bounce is, um, and just basically tell our story. So from open casting, we did it probably in a span of, I don't know, close to eight months of doing that and making each round, not knowing where, how this is all going to uh, develop. And before we knew it, we were what was it last year, maybe a couple months around this time we, we were on Shark Tank. So it was kind of a, all of a blur, but super fun process. You aired in February of 2020, February 28th. Yeah. And, you know, two weeks later, the world went to hell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what happened to the business? Because you're now in the brick and mortar, you know, oh my God. hospitality business. So what happened afterwards? How have you pivoted and, and what do things look like now? So let me actually take one step a little bit further back. Sure. When we were in our hotel room um, in LA for our taping for Shark Tank, uh, we literally signed the lease papers for our second location. That's right. So mi Minnesota, right? Yeah. Yeah. Minneapolis, Minnesota. So this was literally like the night before we had taping. And we're like, oh my God, like this is something that we can actually formally announce in Shark Tank that we just signed for a second location. Um, and then be on national TV the next day later. So like, you know, we're rain, <laughs> we're rains. Or, yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. So, you know, fast forward a couple of months of February, you know, we were writing a, 
a huge wave where we were basically about to break ground in Minneapolis. Uh, we had a taping here. We had a a live showing of our of uh, uh, Shark Tank in our in our Pips and Bounce, and we had the local TV um, crew come in to do you know video of us. And as they were talking to me and talking to a couple of the customers, I vividly remember the cameraman getting a phone call, um, and he's like, "I'm sorry, I have to go. We just got our first Portland case or our first COVID case in Portland." And then they just left. And I was like, okay. And at the time, I didn't, we, nobody really knew how serious this was. We knew it was kind of something we needed to pay attention to, but not to the degree of, I think, after he left, maybe not even 10 days, we closed. And we had to walk away from our Minneapolis location, which, you know, on top of COVID, they had the, you know, the rioting and everything happening in George Floyd and everything. So it was just, you know, riding the wave and suddenly drowning in it in a span of, you know, less than a half a month, I would say, maybe even two weeks. Um, yeah, we, it was just basically, uh, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. We were just kind of like, let's just take this one day at a time. And it was a very frustrating process for all of us. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, today we are still closed uh, a year later. And so Minnesota, you were able to get out of that lease or you took it on the chin a little bit, but you moved on from that. And then you still haven't opened up Portland, but have you been doing smaller events? I, I thought we saw on your website that you have been doing some pop-ups. So how have you been able to navigate through that? Sure. You know, rather than just, hey, I quit and I'm going to go, you know, work at Nike or go get some big corporate job. Like what, why have you continued to persevere? How have you been able to pivot and deal with it? Sure. Um, yeah, we, you know, I would say in the beginning of last, at least the first half of last year, we decided to let's close and remain closed um, because we knew the information that was coming on a daily basis was just, it always changed. And we just didn't know how to operate within those parameters. Um, then we kind of pivoted into like, okay, you know, we can't have people coming into our space, but we still have tables that we can drop off to people, whether if it was at their apartments or whether if there was um, at one of their business spaces um, and give them equipment so they can have fun and do what they want to do. Um, so we kind of pivoted going back into our pop-up party days, essentially, um, which is kind of ironic. You know, it was, it was kind of unknown territory because, you know, we were like, you know, we, we were just basically an equipment supplier. We didn't really tell them how to run, you know, their business. We didn't really tell them how, what is needed to have fun within your organization to, you know, have with ping pong, which is something that we really do well at. Um, but we wanted to still give, you know, the, the fun of ping pong back in the, in people's lives, especially at the time, because no one was really having any fun. Um, you know, and then the question is, you know, I, you know, was contemplating, what do I do personally with my future? Um, 
you know, I still kind of ask myself that every day, but at the end, I still want to make pips and bounce work. You know, I really do firmly believe before COVID, we were on a verge of something. Um, and that was something that was, you know, not many small business uh, owners can say that, you know, they, they're growing and they're about to open a, a second location out of state. And, you know, we were after Shark Tank, we were still getting, you know, a lot of inquiries about financing and franchising and everything. So, you know, there was still something there. Um, and I just kind of love it. I just, there was a difference of working before Pips and Bounce where I just didn't really love what I did. I just kind of did to sustain what I was doing elsewhere. But now I kind of found a passion of, of actually really enjoying and, and loving what I do. Um, and that's kind of remained with me. And, you know, I truly hope that, you know, it's still there when we do reopen, um, you know, the space hasn't changed too much. You know, we probably have less tables, but, you know, more comfortable for other people to sit with their own you know, small pod of people. So it's a little bit more intimate in that respect. Um, and then it's fun for me to kind of take this new challenge head on of, you know, how to operate this in, in, in the COVID world. Um, and that's just part of just running and operating your own business, um, which I enjoy. So the plan before was build the perfect store, have some kind of a training facility as part of that, and then we're going to go franchise this across the country. Has, the, has that changed or is that still the plan? We just had to hit pause for 18 or 24 months. The later. Okay. We were kind of treating Minneapolis as the, and where it was geographically located in the country, it was central U.S., as kind of the training center. Um, we had the space. Um, we kind of had the know-how, how to operate it. Um, and with a second location, it would give us, you know, the, the data to prove that this was scalable. Um, you know, right now, we haven't really discussed, you know, how we're going to grow this business. Uh, the, the conversation is how this business is going to survive. Um, so we put all talks on second location or franchising on hold. I don't think it's out of the equation, but it's, you know, like you said, it's maybe a, hopefully a 12 or 18 or 24 months conversation down the pipeline. So the goal right now is open back up, get to the level we were at previously. Yeah. Then we can, then we can worry about what's next. Yeah. I literally had to talk with my general manager. Um, you know, we opened in 2014 and, you know, now that we're talking about how we're going to reopen, we're basically going back to things that we were talking about in 2014. So it's almost kind of like ground zero. Um, you know, there's even a whole new way that people are ordering food and drinks, you know, a whole new way how people are getting their ping pong equipment. And, you know, one of the things that was kind of our killer app here at Pips of Bounce, it was basically unlimited ping pong balls because that's literally the worst thing about ping pong is chasing after your own ping pong ball. So we took that equation out, that the biggest problem of ping pong. And we're like, okay, so how do we give unlimited ping pong balls to people? Like, do they feel comfortable? So we have to figure out a whole sanitizing issue with, you know, all these ping pong balls at these, you know, the customer tables. So it's, you know, it's changed a little bit, but I think the essence is still there. 
it's just a matter of, you know, how many people could we have in our space at one time? And then hopefully it's going to just get better and better. When people come in, when you were open before, did you allow them to play beer pong? Huh. Um, so <laughs> the, the answer for that is no. Uh, not because what we wanted to, there's actually a Oregon liquor license is, is run by an organization by the states. And in this organization, they literally have a statute that says some, you know, well, some number dot some number, no beer pong allowed, like almost in quotes. Um, basically, it's an activity that encourages more drinking, I think is the, the philosophy of it. Yes, that's exactly what it does. Exactly. And that's probably the number one question for most of our customers, especially later in the evening is, we want to play beer pong. We've, we've gotten, we figured out some ways to uh, finesse that <laughs> a little bit, where we basically put a, you know, like champagne flutes with a, you know, with some water in there and, you know, beer off to the side. So the beer just can't be on the table as an active participant in the activity. So, you know, that's probably going to bite me in the butt right now, but that's the way that we kind of finessed it. I mean, the first time I went into a place where there was wholesale beer pong tables was Vegas. It's O'Shea's, that little casino there. And you walk in and there's six or eight uh, beer pong tables. It, that was the first time I saw it. I thought, well, that's a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know that, you know, in the in the thick of things right now, it's probably not the easiest time to think about this. But if we were to fast forward five years out, what would you like this business to look like? You know, I would love to have multiple locations to, you know, I think one of the joys as a, as an operator is to find talent. That's part of your team that helps you execute the vision that you want to have, which is to have, um, you know, we, we fantasize the idea of having, you know, clubs or multiple pips of bounces play against each other at a pips of bounce tournament that's nationwide uh, or visiting each other's different facilities um, as groups and team building and having competitions of whether it's ping pong or beer pong or other things um, that to me is super fun and i like that idea of bringing people together uh, especially people who work in the, the company um, you know, one thing that I've noticed that's been trending is, you know, the indoor activity industry has grown quite a bit since we first opened, you know, there's indoor rock climbing. There's, I think even now some indoor putt-putts that have a very similar hips of bounce feel. Um, so the indoor entertainment industry is, is a growing one. And I think pips of bounce is in the thick of things of that, um, if not one of the pioneers, so to say. Um, and I think that's kind of gonna be here to say, you know, people still want things to do. Um, there's not too many stuff to do indoors. Uh, there's plenty of stuff to do outdoors. I think Pips Abounce is one of the things that can be, you know, there at almost in any different city or, you know, in many different countries. Ping pong is a universal activity, um, which is, you know, something that we have in our back pocket. You know, the other model I think would be interesting for you to, to emulate and look at is Top Golf. 
I don't know how familiar yeah. you are with them. Just the fact that they do these massive corporate events and then, you know, they've got some meeting space so you can have a meeting and then everyone can go have a beer and play in tournaments and goof off. And it sounds like you're already doing some of that up there, but I just think that I, I see you as the top golf for ping pong. Sure. And yeah. Eventually, you know, memberships and other cities. So yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, you'll, you'll get there. I mean, this is just a, a delay. I, I, one other question I want to ask you is you said something interesting before about, Hey, you know, this is a, and I'm obviously paraphrasing, but yeah, this mm -hmm. is a struggle and it sucks and it's a really hard time, but it still beats working for somebody else, putting on a suit, right? Again, yeah. my words, not yours, but walk us through that because, you know, you, you've shown a lot of grit and perseverance to just stick this thing out let us inside your mind and inside your heart why have you decided to do that and why is you know failure not an option for you so when we first closed um i actually had the interesting opportunity to be one of the few people that worked at the amazon fulfillment center as a um, a reaction to the COVID crisis to find some work. Um, and I actually worked for Amazon, you know, fulfillment, picking people's items for about four or five weeks. Um, you know, it's not a corporate job. It was kind of, a, like I said, a reaction to the crisis. Um, and that just reminded me the, the, the feeling of basically going in doing your work mindlessly, not necessarily challenging my mentality, just kind of doing the work. Um, and then looking at your watch to find out when, or, when is the shift over or when can you get out of work. Um, and just waking up the next day and feeling the exact same thing that's gonna be um, a little bit redundant, a little bit routine. You know, that was the first time I worked in, in that type of environment. And I didn't enjoy it. Um, it was kind of a stark reminder of why I enjoyed Pips Bounce. It was basically, you know, I'm creating something. I am, I'm engaging myself physically, mentally, emotionally, how to make something work, as opposed to just doing something. Um, you know, going back to my, you know, pre-Pips Bounce days, you know, I worked at a desk in the New York law firm. Um, and it's a different challenge, for sure. But it was, you know, I didn't experience that thought of I'm building something. And that's something that's really hard to emotionally feel when you're working, I would guess, a nine to five corporate job. Um, you know, sure, the financials of a salary is much better. But I just, you know, at that point, that's what I was working for. And that's what kind of made me happy. And there's really not much happiness in that when I did that in New York until you know, pips and bounds came, you know, obviously I wasn't making nearly as much, but I was by far coming home so much happier. And looking back what I did for, you know, five or six years of pips and bounds, I think I accomplished a whole lot more than the 10 years that I was doing what I was doing in New York City. Um, and that's something that, you know, you just, you learn by experience, you kind of don't learn by the textbooks. Um, and that's kind of what keeps me going on. It, it's, it's, in essence, it's the life of an entrepreneur. <laughs> Do you subscribe uh, 
Eugene, you subscribe to the philosophy that the worst day as an entrepreneur is still better than the best day as a, a yeah. mindless employee. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's it's interesting to to further dive down into this, um, which kind of segues a little bit from Pips Amounts, is when I uh, worked at Amazon, you know, picking thousands and thousands of people's items during the worst crisis probably of our generation. Um, the two things that most people ordered were pet food and coffee. And that actually kind of um, made my gears work a little bit. And I actually somewhat pivoted into roasting my own coffee starting last summer. Because I was like, well, if the world is going to, you know, crap, and people are still ordering and drinking coffee, there's something to be said about that. So I've actually pivoted on a personal level to roasting my own coffee and I'm actually starting my own little roasting business off to the side. And I'm literally roasting coffee in pips and bounce because we have a commercial kitchen and it's being unused. And I'm actually still in pips and bounce almost every single day, whether if it's pips and bounce related stuff or if it's coffee related stuff. Um, that's what I've been kind of doing. So another business did announce itself to you. Yeah as you were going through this terrible time in our, <laughs> in our history. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and it, you know, it was, it was interesting because for the five or six years I was doing pips and bounce, you know, I was just so targeted. How do, do I get people in the doors of pips and bounce? And what, how do I, you know, give that experience to a customer coming into their doors? Um, you know, the world has changed suddenly in the span of, you know, one year. And now with this coffee business, I'm just completely fixated on how do I get people to buy online orders? Because everything is online and that's kind of the, the safest thing to do. Um, and just figuring out how to, how to work an e-commerce business to get in front of people to buy coffee. Um, it's a humongous challenge. Something I, you know, I haven't figured that out yet, but I really enjoy the challenge of, making something from nothing. I think that is the end of the day and trying to give uh, either a, you know, an experience to somebody from Pips and Bounce or a, you know, a, a quality of product, which is my coffee to people um, to kind of, you know, come back, buy more, experience it. And, you know, I just love giving a positive experience to, to people. And ultimately that's what every entrepreneur does to some degree or another, we start with an idea, which comes from some inspiration, but it's nothing. It's just an idea and it becomes something. So whether it's uh, pips and bounce, or by the way, do you have a name for your yeah. roasted beans? Yeah, it's called Scout Coffee Roasters and Scout is spelled S-K-A-U-T. Oh, S-K-A-U-T, because you, <laughs> I love it. You're gonna make people think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when I say it, it doesn't have the same effect of obviously when you see the website, but yes, S-K-A-U-T. You know, and being in Portland, which is arguably one of the epicenters of the coffee cultures, uh, at least in the Pacific Northwest, the found the country, you know, there, there's a humongous amount of resources. Um, there's a lot of competition here, which kind of drives me to make myself better. Um, if there's no competition, there's no reason to push myself as hard as I'm pushing myself right now. But um, 
yeah, I'm kind of actually running two businesses in, in the life of COVID. One is, you know, making one survive. The other one is trying to make it grow uh, and survive. And, you know, it's, it's a humongous challenge. And for some reason, I enjoy it. I just come back to it, you know, every morning and every night and I think about it. And, you know, I did not think about that when I was working the nine to five where I was just looking to get out and, you know, catch up with my friends after work and, you know, do the same thing day in and day out. But yeah. this well, is some, something... people, some people that don't understand, some people that don't get what entrepreneurs go through would call you a glutton for punishment. Yeah. And Tom and I would just call you a great and inspired serial entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. You, I just had a meeting with my, with my management team, you know, and how we've kind of survived the COVID, you know, we've, we've literally been closed for one year. Uh, you know, we have had not one day of, of, of operating basically. And we know we, we took advantage of all the government loans, all the government funding, both, local, state, and, um, and federal, that's obviously helped us tremendously. Um, you know, you can always ask for more, but you know, the fact that, you know, the government is doing something to help is, you know, I can't complain about that. Um, at the end of the day though, it's still up to us to make this work, to make this survive. Um, and luckily, you know, I found, you know, my management team here um, feel the same way and have that same spirit and energy. And, you know, we, we we all experienced the high pre-COVID and we want to get back to that point. So that's what kind of drives us. Well, where is the best place for uh, people to keep uh, tabs on what you and the business are doing on social media? And then, um, you know, anything, social media, website, just hit us with all your information. Cause I think there's a lot of people that'll be curious of how you end up pivoting and, and what you decide to do. Yeah, we, we've, so the past year, we've purposely been kind of quiet because there's been so much noise pollution in every respect. Um, and we just don't want to be part of that. We are approach this whole crisis with basically be part of the solution that be part of the problem. Um, so we wanted to make sure that, you know, when we do hire people back, they're vaccinated. And that is happening as I speak right now. And we are coming together with a social media campaign of our reopening. Nice. Um, you know, it's all about the timing and we kind of feel like the timing is, is becoming more apparent now than before to announce, you know, last year during the whole world crisis, both, you know, medically and racially and all that stuff. So we feel like now is kind of a great time to do that. Um, so yeah, we're on Facebook, we're on social media, uh, Instagram, you know, I would say our website is probably the, our most formal and our most official announcements. Um, you know, I've learned in the world of e-commerce, you know, social media is, is a power, but the sometimes it's, you know, you can't necessarily control what message goes out there. Mm -hmm. um, but that's something that we can't control on our website. So I would say, you know, visit pipsandbounce.com uh, for people who are visiting Portland or people who live in Portland. And that's when we're going to hopefully, you know, reopen very soon. <laughs> and, and Scout Coffee. What about Scout Coffee? Where do people yeah. get good stuff? Scout Coffee is actually live. You can visit at scoutcoffeeroasters.com. Um, you know, I just figured out how to do subscriptions. So, you know, that's not groundbreaking. But for me, you know, I'm basically 
uh, a one man roasting and I have another friend who's helping me to roast and we've kind of done this together and I've you know been building this website pretty much on my own with a couple of friends just again you know bootstrapping everything and figuring out from the ground up um, you know we've kind of leaning towards specialty coffee because that's just what we like to drink we're not gonna make something that you know I'm not necessarily proud of that I'm not gonna drink myself in the morning so it's really good coffee sourced from you know really good farmers and you know what I enjoy doing this is I'm actually establishing relationship with farmers and with people in the coffee industry and just finding out, you know, what's that perfect coffee bean that I like to drink every morning. And that's something fun for me to do almost every day. Yeah. So pipsandbounce.com and scoutcoffeeroasters.com. Awesome. Well, we look forward to keeping tabs on you and seeing where your entrepreneurial journey takes you. Uh, Thank you. Really appreciate you coming on here and sharing all this stuff and some really good lessons for all the entrepreneurs listening. So Eugene, thank you for, uh, for making the time to yes. join the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. All right. We're back with our post game. We love after these interviews to go through our notes, to take away some great lessons that we learned that are applicable to all the entrepreneurs that are listening this, scaling their business, whether you're just getting started or you've got a big team of people. There are so many lessons from these entrepreneurs that you can take to your business. And, and we've joked around about this in the past, but as we're listening to these interviews, you know, we're obviously trying to do a good job to get great information for you, the listener. We're also trying to uh, write down notes for our post-game show. Oh, and by the way, there's also a <laughs> private other little list that each of us keeps, which are ideas that we hear from the entrepreneurs while they're talking that are applicable to our business, Growth 10, which is where we put together groups of entrepreneurs on a monthly basis all done virtually to help each other grow faster, scale, get the exit we want, run a better business. So with that being said, Joe, as always, kick us off. What did you learn from Eugene? A couple things. It, you know, he, he mentioned he likes to put himself in uncomfortable situations. And I found that to be a pretty cool statement. Um, I think I embody that as well. I don't mind getting uncomfortable. We find a lot of great entrepreneurs are willing to take that step into a place where uh, there's risk, there's probably some healthy fear, and there there should be if, if you've got an IQ in double digits. But he actually likes to put himself in uncomfortable positions so he could learn, so he could grow. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, he was obviously sitting around with his um, with his handcuffs on because of the pandemic. But he wasn't going to let any grass grow under his feet. So like all great entrepreneurs, he had a love for coffee. He developed the, the Scout, S-K-A-U-T, I think is the way it's spelled, Scout Coffee. He created another brand. And I thought, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? That may become uh, the bigger business. I also, um, I also noted that you know, there's no give up in this guy. This is a very, very cool, vulnerable, honest uh, gritty person that there's no quit in him. He said, I never go back. He's a dyed-in-the-wool entrepreneur. He said, I never go back to a W2 uh, position, and I love that. And the, the last thing he said that I made uh, note of, I was really interested because sometimes we get so wrapped up in turning a buck. He actually mentioned that he, he, he ranked or put happiness 
his own personal happiness above just turning a buck. And I think that's, you know, something great that and some of us, when we're, we're grinders, we're grinding out our business, we're trying to figure it out. We put a lot of pressure and stress on ourselves, but sometimes we forget just to have fun and find some things to do if they're not inside of your business. If your business is a grind right now, we get it, but try to find happiness in other areas of your life to just balance out and kind of refresh you and, and feed your soul. Yeah, it was, uh, I think it was Tuesday morning. It was probably about eight o'clock in the morning. Joe said, you know, we need to start having more fun in the business. And I said, yeah, I think it's a really important lesson as an entrepreneur. And uh, about two minutes later, I came back from the kitchen with a beer. And I said, Joe, I, I, we have 12 Zoom calls today. I, I don't think that's how we need to have more fun. That did not happen. However, I, I can make it happen. I could bring a six-pack in here. <laughs> in fact, if you promise to wear your hot pink shorts uh, on Monday, <laughs> look, at, look at those, everyone, if you're watching on YouTube. I will open a beer if you wear your hot pink shorts. And I have committed to Tom that I'm going to go out this weekend. And I'm going to find a matching pair of hot pink shorts to wear on Monday. That's my commitment to you. <laughs> so Wait, what did you learn? Uh, I learned a couple things. So first of all, when he was proving the concept, he did pop-up parties. Yeah. So, you know, you may not go, well, you know, how am I supposed to do pop-up parties in my business? Well, what's your variation of that? We've heard of some great successful restaurants, including Shake Shack, that started out by being a little shack or a uh, kind of a truck, a ghost right? kitchen. That yeah, ghost kitchen, food truck. So, you know, pop-up parties to prove the concept for Eugene. Your version of that, again, you think of restaurants with ghost kitchens or, you know, starting small or um, we think of abs protein pancakes from a few weeks ago. Yeah. Making them in the kitchen, putting them in Ziploc baggies, <laughs> putting, having a PayPal account to send you the money. But what's the point of that? You prove the concept. Yeah. So, you know, you don't need – I think sometimes people think it's like, oh, you have to either go big or you can't start a business. And, you know, you can prove a concept. So much of what you and I have done over the past few years together, especially the last year, has been let's try this. It's only going to cost us our time. If it's a terrible idea, it's not going to kill us. But let's try it. So figure out what your version of pop-up parties is not just for a new business, but just an idea inside of your business. Uh, and the ironic part is he's now gone back to pop-up events and parties temporarily yeah. because of obviously the uh, restrictions. It's a um, great pivot. Uh, and that's what it's all about. It's about pivoting. It's about not getting stuck. And you have to have that mindset that you're going to move forward regardless of the conditions around you. Yeah. And the last thing I'll leave you with, and you already touched on this, but you know, we asked him, look, if this goes sideways or if you can barely make it work, does the idea of getting a job nine to five W2 seem like a good idea? I mean, obviously Eugene's brilliant. He can make more money working in the, you know, for someone else. He's like, no, I'd rather struggle with this and figure it out and make it work than go work somewhere. And I think that's an important lesson. And it's something I've shared with younger entrepreneurs over the years that, you know, on your worst day, you have to figure out, is this still better than working for someone else? And I've always said that. I'm like, I'd rather be broke and confused and trying to figure things out than taking a paycheck. That's just me. That's just Eugene. I'm sure it's a similar uh, feeling that you have and, and many others that are listening to this as and well. And the good news is we're not broke and confused. We have a great business and a great platform, Growth Tab, that's becoming better every day. We in, invite you over, but... 
listening to Eugene, it just, it kind of, it, it makes me, uh, it makes me think about how important it is to have, you know, true grit in business and be able well, to thanks for it. sharing that we're not broke and confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you clarifying that for everyone. Actually, I'm not broke. We may be slightly if you were, if you were, Hey, if you were watching us on YouTube right now, or for those of you that are, we do kind of look broke and confused. Yeah. We're not dressed very nice. Did you, have you shaved this I morning? Did shave I did not. Yeah. Uh, I, I look like a complete slob. Well, you're heading, you you're heading to the golf course this afternoon, I, so I you're am. allowed to wear pink shorts. We know how golfers dress. That's true. So, <laughs> so the moral of the story is Eugene's pivoted, he's persevered, and Joe and Tom are not broke and confused. So that's what you learned this week. No, but this was this was great. Uh, so appreciated Eugene coming on the show, sharing his story. Um, you know, we say this about a lot of our guests, but he's one we're going to follow up with in a year with another interview. Yeah, And it's going to be, all right, you know, we've got all the Shark Tank stuff out of the way. Now let's really talk about what you learned, how you pivoted, how you persevered, how you're scaling, and we'll do a deep dive on that. So that's uh, where we're going with a lot of these is we want to do that great in-depth follow-up interview. So this was great. Had a great time. Appreciate Eugene. Appreciate all of you listening and watching. And tell all your friends, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a five-star review. Uh, we so appreciate all of your support and listening, and we hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy doing these. So we'll see you next week on an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Bye, everybody.